The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Big Wednesday. Big Wednesday. What's happening, everybody? October the 13th, six days, the countdown now until the start of the NBA season. And we have Josh Lloyd for you on the program today, who I know you guys are itching to hear, so we won't delay for too long. I just do quickly want to say hi. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. This is a hoopball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. You can follow Hoopball on Twitter at Hoopball Fantasy. The website is hoop-ball.com, and I would once again really kind of beg of you all to go check out the Twitter stuff. I know that social media can be a, a, a relative fun house, not in the fun way, in the what's in that mirror kind of thing. But if you really, if you use it right for basketball, there is a way to just get the information you desire. So do check out HoopBall on Twitter at HoopBallFantasy. It's got up-to-the-minute fantasy news breaks, everything that comes out about every team, every player. And uh, I personally, today, I'm going to have some threads on some of the most talked-about players, and we'll be doing that stuff all season long. So do check it out. Again, that's at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Forgoing the show opening monologue today because we want to dive right into the juicy stuff And so we'll do that now. No waiting around. It's the one you've been waiting for, folks. Welcome back to the podcast to the great Josh Lloyd, who I know has only one goal on this show, and that was... What did you say your goal was for this episode, Josh? I just want it to be more downloaded than Matt Smith's episode. (laughs) I need need to get that back over him. (laughs) You can follow Josh on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. You probably already do, but on the off chance you don't, RedRock underscore B-Ball on Twitter. Josh Lloyd of Basketball Monster fame. So, uh, first of all, hi. How you doing, man? How's it been? Good, Dan. How are you? Hanging in there. It's been a weird, like, two and a half seasons of basketball, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Nothing's felt uh, normal in terms of, you know, the timing and, and breaks. And uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to next off season to get that, you know, proper two, three months off. Yeah, you know, I had a question for you, and I didn't. This wasn't something I planned on asking, but now that you mentioned the the off season, I wanted to throw it out there. Have you found? Because I'm always trying to watch like trends and, and social media, and and just like how buzz is happening around the NBA. Does it feel like people sort of forgot basketball was starting until like ten days ago? If I base that off like numbers of people watching my show or listening, then yes. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, what? the numbers normally pick up here, and then it hasn't. And then the last week they've gone, oh no, no, everything's starting. Let's let's all jump on and, and start firing it up not right now. So yeah, it feels like maybe the week week two weeks behind. Yeah, that's kind of what I was looking at too. And I felt like you and I are probably both like looking at numbers behind the scenes and going, where is everybody? And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, October hit, and yes, basketball has returned. So. Uh, very happy to have you back on the pod. Normally, at, at this juncture, we talk mostly about the mock draft team, and I and I think we can use that as a jumping off point. But we've you're kind of I think you're the last mock to talk to, which was partially by design because I I think we can segue into some draft day stuff as well. But the first thing 
first of all, uh, Josh had the fourth pick in our mock. And this is, again, from like two and some odd weeks ago at this point. But you had James Harden at four, and there was some pretty uh, substantial Kyrie Irving news that broke not shortly before we were recording this segment. What do you think, what does that do to James Harden? Or were you kind of already factoring that in with the news being, of course, that Kyrie is basically not involved with the team until he gets vaccinated at this point. So kind of who knows, I guess. But uh, you had Harden at four. Do you look at him potentially as going higher? Was it already baked in? Uh, I thought it was really nice timing that you had James in the mock draft, and we can use this as our, our starting line. Um, from memory, Dan, we did that mock before any of the unvaccinated news came out. And I yeah. think that's sort of where I had Harden anyway, even with Kyrie there. So look, the fact that he can drop in double-digit assists and no one's going to do that, um, yeah, pushes him. And he's still going to get his defensive numbers and his scoring will, will be somewhat of a hit. And all that's fine. So I had him at number four. To me now, he's a clear a, a clear top three guy. Um, I'd probably take him at two in a lot of situations. I actually did a mock a day or two ago and I took him at number one. And yeah, oh, what are you doing? You can't possibly take him at number one. It's got to be Jokic. I go, Jokic has had one top one season ever. Um, Harden has been like a top three guy for seven years and now he's got an opportunity to do it again. Like if you took him at one, and I think you've said this before, there is absolutely no guarantee that Jokic repeats as number one. It doesn't happen all that often. We No one expected him to be number one last year. There's about five or six guys who can be number one. If you want to take Harden at one, two, or three, I wouldn't let him get any further down than three. But to me, he's a pretty clear top three player. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you on that one. I actually did a segment on the Monday show of this week, which was basically making the case that Steph could also be a number one pick. Is there, between those three guys, is it kind of like a three-sided die at this point? Who goes one, two, and three? It's probably... One of the most, that's one of the most common questions that I get asked. The other most common question I get asked is, hey, is Moses Brown going to play 25 minutes for some reason? But the other <laughs> most common question is, oh, who do I take? I've got this pick in the first round or I'm picking it in the first round. And Dan, I don't know how you approach it, but my answer is, in general, it doesn't really matter that much. Like, no. you could, I, I could go, you have to take Jokic, you have to take Harden, you have to take Curry, but whatever. Like, whoever it is, if you take Curry and he ends up, oh, he slipped and he's the third player, it doesn't kill anything. It doesn't ruin your draft. It doesn't do anything like that. If you take Jokic and he goes to fourth, oh, well, it's not the end of the world. Like, we can't predict with that certainty, but everyone focuses so much on what do you do in that first round, unless you don't do something stupid like I'm going to take um, Truma Akiki at pick four. Oh, I think you're going to be okay in that first round. So we put too, way too much focus on, well, I've got the first pick. I don't know what to do. But just flip a coin, mate, and whatever one you end up with, I think your, your margin for error there is just so wide that it doesn't actually doesn't actually make that much of a difference. Now, pushing Harden up is fine if you want to take Steph one. Like, if you want to take Carl Anthony Towns at one, like, okay, who knows? Like, Jokic wasn't number one last year. Anthony Davis could end up being the number one player this year. But I don't know. I probably wouldn't do it, but I don't, th- I don't think that making those picks is going to completely destroy what you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I just, I think this news... It does push. I, I feel like the discussion was really Jokic was one, and then everybody was sort of fighting about what you do at two. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, people feel like Jokic should still be one. Uh, the fight maybe now about Harden and Curry, but I feel like the battle really is sort of fairly even. And, and even if you look at the second half of last season, Steph was one, Harden was two on a per-game basis, and Jokic was actually five behind Kyrie and Jimmy Butler. So there's... 
Um, like you said, it probably doesn't make that big of a difference, but also it's not nearly as cut and dry as a lot of folks out on the uh, Twitter sphere would have you believe at this point. Next guy on your board, and again, this is really just sort of a jumping off point. The next guy on your team from this mock that I thought was interesting was Colin Sexton, who I know you've been pretty high on actually for a couple of years now. I think we talked about him uh, before last season. And if I'm remembering right, you said it's just really hard to find a, a great scorer like that as you push through the fifth, sixth, seventh round type of range. Do you see Sexton improving in certain categories this year? That does sound like something I would say, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that it was what I said. <laughs> Which is but amazing because my memory is hot garbage over the last, uh, how old's my kid? Roughly five years. I don't remember much. Let's let's be clear. I, I do not think that Colin Sexton is a particularly good or impactful winning basketball player. And uh, I, I've been on record many, many times saying I think Darius Garland is by far their best prospect and currently best player for the Cavs. Like, I will say that, but... The, the Colin Sexton, you know, doesn't hit enough threes, doesn't take enough threes, doesn't get any rebounds or assists or steals. All that holds true. But getting a 24-point scorer who's you know, close to 50% field goal percentage and you sometimes find him at pick 80, oh, it's ridiculous. So that, that That's value. And separating whether I think this guy is a star or a really good NBA player or he's so impactful for winning versus, hey, is there fantasy value because he slipped 20 spots too far? Like they're, a com- they're completely different discussions. So I can come out and say, I don't actually think Colin Sexton is that good. And I think you know, in the next three years, he probably moves into a much smaller, lower usage role because that's how you win basketball games versus, hey, this year he's going too low and he's going to score 20 plus points and he's going to do it on high efficiency. Why are we letting him fall that far? They are completely separate arguments. And yeah, even though I seem like I'm polar opposites on my thoughts on him, that makes sense to me. I don't know, man. Do you think we can all handle that level of nuance? No, but that's, uh, <laughs> that, 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 that's where we are with it. So, yes, I don't think Sexton... And, and when you're looking at, you know, sort of dynasty value of these guys, like, well, Sexton might be this guy this year, but if I'm looking four years' time, I think his role is going to be, as we're seeing perhaps with like a guy like Buddy Heald this season, who's going to maybe move from a 34-minute starting role into that 28, 27-minute bench role that he had a couple of years ago. Like, that stuff can start to change. And as teams start to grow and get better, if the Cavs ever get better, those players who may not be driving that move into smaller roles. I want to now look at towards the end of the mock draft. I think that's where everybody's focusing their attention as we all approach our real drafts as well. Your last five picks in the mock were Jalen Green, Daniel Gafford, Boyan Bogdanovich, Duncan Robinson, and Monty Morris. Who are you particularly excited about in that crop of five? Uh, probably no one, to be honest. Um, maybe <laughs> maybe Jalen Green, but oh, no, he was pretty rough yesterday. There's going to be some. There's going to be some poor games from him for sure, with some bad efficiency. That Monty Morris one, there's no way I would make that pick again. Um, he's just so low upside, I think. And with yeah, bunches of or even like a bloke on his own team, uh, Bones Highland, you know, stepping up, and I think Bones is going to be a rotation guy straight away. But the guys that we can sort of find in that zone, like we did this mock you know, weeks ago, I wouldn't be taking him there. Like Boyan and Duncan Robinson are fine in that area. And it was more just me picking them to to build out a, a team rather than taking a huge flyer on guys. Cause there's, there's no upside in those play, play, play Try again. No upside in those players. Um, but they're, they're solid enough. Actually, I, I don't mind the Boyan pick. I think he's maybe getting undervalued a bit because he was pretty good after, you know, in the second half of the season when that wrist injury healed. And then uh, Gafford was the other one who I think I'm really high on him early in the season. I don't know what they're going to do second half when Bryant comes back. But if they want any 
any semblance of defense from that center position, I tell you, you're not getting it from Bryant or from Harrell. So he's probably going to have to stick in the rotation. But I don't know if I can trust Unsaled yet because we haven't seen him coach. Yeah, that was actually going to be my follow-up was what, is you, what do you think that the season arc looks like for Daniel Gafford? Uh, to me, it seems like there's a ch- like we don't know that Thomas Bryant's going to come back healthy. So there is this, there's a little bit of an unknown there where maybe Gafford stays good longer and this format actually lends itself to that Roto Games cap. You can just sort of go until he's not useful anymore and then you could punt him to the curb. But to get a guy... Where is this? This would probably be, I think this is around pick 100 or so. Uh, to get a guy around 100 who, when he's the starting guy, has that 60, 75 type of upside, those are the guys that move the ball forward. I always talk about your, your, your page, your player page at Basketball Monster. The guys that are doing positive things for you tend to be the guys that are ranked gener- like 80 or above, and other guys are sort of keeping the boat from sinking into the ocean in a games cap format you need as many of those positive impact guys as humanly possible so i actually really like that pick uh on the gafford front i'm i'm pro daniel gafford and i don't even know who jalen green is so i have to keep that joke going uh who are some of the guys in that late range josh that kind of maybe you were eyeballing or targeting that or the one that got away is that a nice way to express it who's who is the love that got away in those late rounds um I'm just going to bring up the the draft room and, and have a have a little bit of a look and see sort of who was around that area because again this is so long like I feel like my opinions have changed so much since we did that draft which is what happens when you get more information you get training camp and you get all that sort of stuff. Yeah, hey, by the way, while uh, you're looking at that, when do you when do you like to do your drafts? I like to go the weekend before the season starts. Um, in in general, yes, I think I've got like the two big ones I've done for my listeners. There's one that's happening. Thursday and one that's happening Monday. So sort of you know, bookending yeah. the weekend there and I've got another one that's coming up tomorrow. And that's generally when I do it. Like I find you can you either wait the longest you can, right, to, to get this part of the season, um, you after preseason and, and that, or you go super early when all of the ranks on the sites are out of control. Like they're just completely insane. And totally of course agree. all that stuff gets gets tightened up. Like, you know, when you're drafting Isaiah Stewart at 130 when the first week of drafts come out, like you're gonna smash the value on those sites. Um, so you either do it then or you do it after the preseason. I don't think there's any, any, especially if you switched on, if you do it early, you can just uh, assemble an absolute super team at, at that point. Um, I'm just having a look at these guys who, who I missed out on that. I'm, uh, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed missing out on Mo Bamba um, in round 11. Um, he's a pretty interesting option for me this year. And Josh Giddy, where uh, uh, Matt Lawson took him in round 11 as well. Like I, I'm, I'm getting, I'm happily drafting Gideon around 9-10 at this point. Like, he was a guy that I, I really like to target as a last-round player. And back then, like, he, I think he was ranked 600th on, on Yahoo at that point. So I could get him in the last round of most spots. But Matt snagged him off me there in round 11. Yeah, I've, um, I'm, I'm having trouble getting Mo Bamba in places. I think my, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where he's actually going. And he's one of those guys that's moving so fast right now. That if you draft well, me, today, yeah, go ahead. So I did a mock draft yesterday, and this is the way that, that I approach it. Normally, it's like you go, well, your last two, three picks, you take flyers on. But with the guys that I wanted, and it was, I believe, from memory, people who watch my show might be able to correct me. I think it was Gideon Bumba that I took, but I got him in like round eight, round nine. And that might seem high. Or might have been nine. Uh, it was nine, ten, I think, actually. And, and that might seem high. But my thought process was, these are the guys that if that they hit, like Bumba hits and he plays 25 minutes. So that's a top 50 player. If Giddy gets any 
of offense or shooting and the fact that he can average seven assists per game, like that's already you know, mega valuable. And I think I got him at a high 10, right? So, you know, that becomes like a top 80 guy. If they hit, then it works out. And then if I just need some stable guys, I can get that guy in round 12 and I'll take another flyer in round 13 rather than I'll just get the boring guy who's got zero chance of being better than a top 100 player. But if I know that these guys, yeah, I, I can take a flyer on Isaiah Roby, say, in round 12. Does he have the upside to hit top 50 like Mo Bumba? Like, not even a chance. I went earlier on those flyer types, even though there's still complete dart throws, because, Dan, as you know, a third of your roster probably gets turned over within the first six weeks of a season. Like, you just cut four or five guys. You know, they, guys move on and off your roster straight away. Yeah, so if I have to sometimes, take sometimes my, more. <laughs> yeah, if I have to take guys my fourth last pick in my round nine pick or whatever... And in the end, it doesn't work because Bumba plays 15 minutes a night. Oh, well, like, it's not killing me. But if it works, and if he plays 25 minutes a night, then bang. Like, I'm right up there with like a fourth, fifth round type of player. Same with Giddy. So normally I'll, I would go later on those guys. But now I'm just going, well, this is the guy. Like, the upside is not 120 to 100. The upside is 100 to 50. And that jump is enough for me to take that swing on that guy. Yeah, I totally get it. I, uh, I'm getting into the weeds a little bit here. But do you change when you start taking those home run hacks, depending on whether it's head to head or Roto, I know, I, I think it's an easier sell job in Roto because again, you're, you're looking for almost exclusively high upside guys. That's how you win a games cap format is you don't use any games on someone who's not uh, a big time positive. There is value in head to head in having, you know, a top 110 guy who plays all 82 games just because you're, you're not getting any zeros there and they're sort of quietly plodding along. I feel like, and I do more Roto and I think you do more head to head. I feel like maybe like a round later in head to head, you start getting wild and woolly or do you generally do it about the same? About the same. Usually my, I guess my difference is when I'm looking at that head to head leagues, I'm probably more, or, or say Roto games cap. I'm probably more forgiving of guys entering the season injured, you know, in a Roto games cap format. So, you know, right. the number one example is going to be like a Pascal Siakam. Like I feel more comfortable getting him in that format. But, you know, you, you say that, yeah, you want guys to play games in head to head and, and all that is true, but we want them to play games at the right time. Like I, in, in nearly every head to head league, I'm more than happy to take losses for the first two weeks if necessary, right? Just to allow weird shooting, um, uh, weird rotation roles to play out, to take flyers on guys that don't pan out. And then you hopefully start getting rolling round four, round five. And if guys miss time in the first three weeks, it doesn't kill you completely. As long as you, as long as you get into the playoffs, like in six out of 12 make the playoffs, like it's not a huge high bar to get into. And as long as I've got my guys healthy and playing and, and good value happening and trying to accumulate all that value by the time we hit the playoffs, then that's what, what it's more important to me versus like if you miss a game in December versus missing a game in March, that's wildly different. Talking to Josh Lloyd of Basketball Monster at Red Rock underscore B-Ball on Twitter. Do you find that there are more than a handful of really ill-advised drops made in the first couple of weeks simply because folks hate to see a loss on the ledger at the beginning of the year? Yeah, they panic. And what the number one thing to do is if someone comes out and shoots like 18% across three games, that guy gets dropped straight away. And when you look at those numbers, the number one thing to say is, do you fully believe that a player is going to shoot, the player that's not Frank Nilakina, that is going to shoot 18% for a season? <laughs> like, and the answer to that question is, that is no. Sorry, sorry, Frank, if you're listening. Um, no one's going to shoot that for the season. It's like saying that this guy's come out and he shot 70% on three across his first seven games. You go, man, he's so red hot. Well, 
that's just it's just not going to happen. And he's going to have a stretch of shooting twenty. This is how this stuff goes. So when someone comes out of the gate and averages seven points per game because they're shooting twenty percent from the field, like just just hold on because if you if you've got a track record of this bloke being a Ford rule field goal guy averaging 15 points and the shot attempts are there, the role is there, the minutes are there, it's going to change. And that's where you look to attack patient uh, managers in your league. I've found it sometimes helpful to have my, my drop candidates ready. How do you pick your early season drops to go get maybe a panic drop? Like maybe this question isn't phrased quite right. How do you know you're not making a panic drop yourself if you're going to try to scoop up someone else's panic drop? Um, it's a good question. The the answer to that is 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 it's all about valuing the the player and at a guy say it is uh, let's let's say it's an uh, Alperen Shingun. All right, so you've drafted him. You go. I hope he can play 22 minutes opening night. But if he comes out and they play him six minutes or he doesn't, you're not in the rotation. I go. Well, that's shit because. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Maybe in March he gets back into the... But I'm not holding for that long, right? If if someone's out there playing the minutes and the shots just aren't falling, then I go, well, something's going to change. Or it's one of those... Like if it's Monty Morris and he's out there and he's doing 11 points with four and a half assists, okay, that's totally fine. If I drop him and someone else picks him, I'm not going to cry about it. Like, it doesn't matter. I can find those numbers somewhere else, even if it's just by streaming two guys in for the week to make up those numbers. Like it's not it's not a high upside play. So if it's him, it's Danny Green, it's Seth Curry. If it's one of those sort of guys who you know doesn't have that high upside, and there's someone else out that you want to get, even though this player might technically end up as the you know the hundred and thirtieth best player, and how can you drop him? Because that is clearly a rosterable guy. Oh, well, like I can I can find those numbers somewhere else. That's really that's well expressed. Sorry, I you know I didn't plan on going down this path when we started talking, but the the question sort of led us there. And I don't know, you know me, I like I like digging deep on stuff. Um, so I'll use this actually as sort of a, a a pivot into our last general topic of the show, which is draft day is coming for so many people. Like you said, you got a couple coming up here in the not too distant future. I'm always, I think just by human nature, even if we study this all day, every day, we're prone to little things that kind of creep in on during the actual draft. And I know for me, uh, the thing that always comes back, and it, it it doesn't impact me every single time, but the feeling when your cue runs out right before your pick, and it seems so stupid, like I should be able to just put one more guy in my queue I never quite do it. So for me, it's always I got to make sure when I set my cue, I put like two or three extra guys in there each time so that that moment doesn't come up. What about you, Josh? What is the thing that you found sort of gets you on draft day? And then how do you combat that inside your own head even to overcome it and continue to clobber everybody? Well, I'll tell you how I avoid that issue with the cue, Dan. I just don't set a cue. I just, just don't, don't put those guys there because the, the, the deflating nature of seeing guys fly out of that queue is frustrating. Yeah, it's so, real. Oh, it's very real. Yeah, that, I don't, because, yeah, In the past, I might go in there, and, and you can attest to this. You go in there and go, okay, well, I'm coming up. I'm six picks away. Let's put three guys in there. And then you go, oh, I'm going to get one of these guys. And they all go. And you go, oh, my God, I'm a mad scramble. What am I going to do? Because you're sort of not rested on your laurels, but you sat there and – and, and you were looking and going, well, I'm, I feel confident. I know what I'm doing for this next pick and maybe I can look ahead. So what I tend to do is, is 
I might throw just some random names on there that might be far down a list, but not like these are the guys I'm picking at this next spot. And then when I'm one pick away, I, I take a look and I go, well, yeah, who, who do I want here rather than like get my hopes up for this and get disappointed. So I try and leave it to the last minute. And again, that helps me because I've been doing this for, you know, 12 hours a day for however long it's been, right? So <laughs> yeah. I feel pretty confident that when I get to it and I, it's my pick and I'm one away that, that I can figure out who I'm taking in that area. There's no panic from me, but that's just from continual repetition and continual um, preparation in, in doing it. But I, I don't, that, that sort of, you know, creating that cue can lead to that mental f- panic and, and mental fog, I guess, when that does get wiped out and you go, oh, what do I do now? And you don't actually think about, I know, I know what to do and I, I've got these guys set. So I'd rather sort of not come in blankly, but like, all right, picks up, let's have a look. There we go. I've got a minute, minutes longer than you think a lot of the time um, and, and go from there. But that's a lot of repetition that gets me to that area. Yeah, I you know what the the interesting about a minute is that I, I feel like if it was shorter, a lot of us might make better picks. You spend the first ten seconds of the minute looking at the guy you like, and then you spend the next forty five going, Well, maybe I should maybe I should do this guy, and then, then there's this guy, but I could also do that, and then in the last five seconds you're like, ah and you go back and maybe take the first one you looked at anyway. Um what about what about draft in draft like you know, again, I know a lot of my questions come more from a roto standpoint, and and maybe don't address it, maybe don't address the the punt philosophy as well. But how soon in a draft are you looking at your team's supposed strengths and weaknesses? I think you have to look at it after every pick. To be honest, um, I, I th- you don't have to focus in on, but you have to be aware of where your team sits. Now, probably after the first pick, you're not hyper-focused on that. But I think you have to be aware of what your team is doing. But it's not just looking at what my team is doing. So I can't just look at it and go, oh, well, you know, my team is uh, is pretty low in points. I, you know, I'll, I'll sort that out later on because, as you know, Dan, like getting points or getting assists later is hard. Like if you want to get steals, you can find that later on. If you want to hit threes, you can find that later on. So understand, like it's not just about, well, I'll, I'll just get my assists and points in, in round 10 and 11 because it's just impossible. So having an understanding, like if I, if I don't get them now, like I'm in real trouble, okay, understanding that part of it versus, well, I can actually wait on the threes and I don't have to take Buddy Heald at pick 60 because I can get Duncan Robinson 70 picks later and provide me the same amount of threes versus if I'm relying upon Reggie Jackson to get me assists in round 11 or if it's Kyle Lowry in round seven. Like those differences between where I can get numbers is almost as important as understanding where you're lacking and you've got to combine those two things together to know what you need to do with your next pick and that ties back in you know this is you know really top level narrative stuff here Dan but it ties back into the Colin Sexton pick like points there I can't get them later on like I can't get 23 points later on even though I may not I, I might not like his low volume of threes oh well I'll just add Duncan Robinson and Boyan Bogdanovich in round 11 and 12 to help me in that area I so when I'm looking at the that that same philosophy, and I and I do have a, a point that I'm going to get to here, I promise. One thing that I think a lot of folks struggle with, and and I think I've run into it a couple of times, uh, in really competitive roto leagues, where I start to think, okay, w- what do I need to do here? Do you have sort of a, a mental? It's not a clock. It's really more like a mental, like bouncing needle that says, okay, it's my fourth rounder, it's my fifth rounder, and I can see that my team is 
pretty weak in big man stats, but there's this guard or wing or whoever that's on the board that I have like 15 slots higher than the next big man that I see on the board and my own in my own rank list. Is that, do you address your need in a situation like that? Or you think you're still going best player available? I'm probably on the best player side in general and then hoping maybe you can make a trade part way. But I also know that like, Yahoo Pro Leagues, apparently nobody trades because everybody just vetoes everything. So maybe those options aren't on the table. And I know I'm putting so many variables into this one question, but how do you address that side of it? Like when you see a team need, but that player that would that would take care of it is not at all your favorite player on the board. Um, I've probably switched, or not switched, or at least changed my opinion. They're very. I, I used to very much be like, well, let's look at the rank and the ADP, and I can get this guy later if I wait. But given you know the way that values lie in a draft, it's not a linear process, right? So like you know the difference between pick one and pick five is not the difference between the difference between pick sixty five and pick seventy. It's it's just not like the difference between pick one and pick well, let's say pick one and pick ten is like the difference between pick forty and pick eighty, right? It's it's such a yeah, yeah, bell curve distribution. If you if we want to use it that way, that the, these guys later on, they average 0.1 steal per game more or less. They can flip 20 spots really quickly, and I don't have the ability to be able to to accurately project those numbers and say, well, this guy is definitely number 50, and this guy is number 80, and therefore I can't do anything more because I'm very well aware that what I do. Um, yeah, has a, a, a margin of error in this stuff. So if if the reason that this bloke here is at number 80 is because I've got him averaging 13 points and seven rebounds instead of 14 points and seven and a half rebounds, and if those numbers happen, he becomes 50th. Oh, well, like the difference in those picks, as crazy as it sounds, it's not that, it's not that wild. It's not that, it's not that different in, in those areas. So if there's someone you want, and this happened in this mock draft yesterday, Centers, Dan, you see, they start flying off. Round four, like you get like six, seven centers in a row. Capella and Valanchunas and um, yeah, Jaron Jackson and John Collins, all these center-eligible guys fly off. So people are like, oh, my God, I've got no centers. And then Jared Allen started getting picked in the 50s and Yucca Pirtle started getting picked in the 50s. And then you're like, okay, well, what, what am I? I'm either eschewing that position completely or I need to start doing something about it. Otherwise, I'm going to be left with bloody Jock Landale as my starting center. Nice. And that's not a great situation to be in so you've got to adjust to what's happening in that draft and people were starting to adjust in that draft because like oh i've got nothing left i've got no centers so if i don't get jared allen at pick 60 or pick 55 then then that team is done even though he might be the 80th guy or the 90th guy whatever number you have him if you don't get it then your replacement level comes back to your nick richards at center and you get no one wants that just throwing out shitty centers for everybody to to get a laugh at so you're good with with taking the the position or or statistical need, and it sounds like, yeah, yeah, because it, it, we can look at ranks and we can look at projections, Dan. But yeah, this stuff's not hundred percent accurate. It's not ninety percent accurate. So I can't, you know, say people say I just you, know, you need to set it then, and not you know saying this to argue with it. Oh, we can fight if you want, nah. but best player available. I don't know who the best player is. You don't know who the best player is. The best player available will be determined later in the season. We have our we have our guesses at it, but you saying this is best player available and 30 other people will tell you that it's a different best player available at that same spot. And I think you've got to have that open mind to understand that I don't know who the best player available is, but what I do know is that getting a position or a particular stat, like I, I can 100% tell you that Mike Conley versus Jared Allen, they are going to give me rebounds, threes, free throws, 
Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, assist threes, free throws, rebounds, blocks, field goal percentage. I know that that's going to happen for Allen versus Conley. I, I know that that's going to happen, but I can't sit here and tell you 100% who is best player available. No, Nobody can. We can have our best guesses at it, but I can 100% tell you what they're going to be strong in. Yeah, I mean, that actually does, does sort of lend itself to the, the, the Bespris Bucket series of episodes I did. So I'm, I'm not going to argue with it at all. Uh, the fact that a lot of these guys, and particularly like you were talking about, that, that 40 to 80 chunk or like the 80 until the end of time chunk, those guys are really, really close together. Uh, and it's why, you know, when you were talking about a player that was shooting 18%, this, this hypothetical player, I mean, my brain was just like, oh, he's talking about Rob Covington, who jumped from like 130 to 40 by switching from shooting 26% to 40%. So those those little things happen and they can move so fast that yeah, I think you do like if if something is about to dry up, you do need to address that. Uh if you're in a league I think where people are really open to trades, I think it makes this decision easier. You can take the guy that you really really want and maybe you briefly askew the stats that your team needs and perhaps you can go get them later from maybe a better guy. Uh, but uh, it sounds to me like a lot of leagues just don't trade anymore. And that kind of sucks, but it is what it is. Uh, Josh, thank you for indulging me on this weird theoretical deep dive that I had no intention of doing on today's show, but uh, you, you accompanied me on this journey into the forest and we seem to have made it out alive. No problem, Dan. It was, uh, it was fun to get in strategy talk. Yeah, this is the good stuff. This is the meaty stuff because we're about to start a season where we're just going to have to talk about the exact things that happened the night before for 155 straight days, right? That is uh, that is true. It, it is exciting, <laughs> but also like, oh, it is uh, true. Yeah, I like to make sure we're feeling the dog days before the season even starts. That's uh, that's my strategy on all of this. The great Josh Lloyd, ladies and gentlemen, at RedRock underscore B-Ball on Twitter. Josh, thank you so much, man. Can we do this again uh, in November? Yeah, sounds good, Dan. And that, and and that time I won't make you walk down twenty minutes of theory with me. Sound good? Yeah, no, we'll just we'll just talk about how. Uh, I'm trying to think of a funny player. How Caleb Martin? I said he was going to start in Miami because half their team was going to be struck down <laughs> by uh, COVID protocols. <laughs> yeah, we'll go back and we'll look at that prediction in November. Thanks, Josh. No worries. Thanks, Dan. Well, you heard him, folks. Better make this show more downloaded than the Matt Smith episode. Who I I don't know if the kid is out yet for Matt. The kid. This is this is like most parents think that I'm uh, a, a horrible human being. That I just refer to them as the kid. <laughs> That's creatures. Thing one and thing two in this household. Um, so let's uh, let's do that. Let's try to make this thing extremely well downloaded. And if you enjoyed the show, the visit from Josh and everything we've been doing here on Fantasy NBA Today, please do take a moment to rate and subscribe to the podcast. Five star reviews, much appreciated. If you want to write something fun, I may be able to. If I can bring myself to look at the reviews, because I'm always petrified, I can read that on air. It's a little bit annoying to figure out where the hell you can do this, but uh, quickly here, if you're on a mobile device, open the podcast app for Apple devices, search for Fantasy NBA Today. You can't just go to the show that you're already listening to, which just is completely idiotic, but you got to search for Fantasy NBA Today, click on the show title, meaning like, not the episode title, the show logo, the big one. And then at the bottom of the page you go to from there, that's where you can rate and review on a mobile device. If you're in iTunes, it's a little bit easier. You navigate to the podcast tab, search for Fantasy NBA Today, click on the show, and then there's a rate and review button. I really would appreciate it. That is a big, 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 big deal for us here. It's how more people can find the show. It's how we can kind of be 
trending as often as possible, and that's the best way to grow this thing. So thank you in advance for doing that. This show, as all of our shows, brought to you by our friends at manscaped.com and mybookie.ag. By the way, I do have one fantasy blip coming up at the end of the show, so stick around here. Hang with me. All of us yesterday won $25 on mybookie.ag. I hope you guys did it with me. I know at least a few hundred of you did because we've communicated about it in the past. Whenever the hell the next odd boost comes out, I'll be sure to let you know. That was a super easy one. I don't pay any attention to hockey. All I know is that someone was like, Dan, it it hit. That's all I needed. Someone told me. I didn't even remember it was going. Dan, it hit. So we all won $25 together on a MyBookie odds boost on the start of the NHL season. My guess is there will probably be one for the start of NBA, but I don't know yet. And when I find out, I'll let you know. So let's all do it together. If you haven't signed up for an account, please do so at mybookie.ag. It works in like 250 countries. Not all of them, but many. Uh, And when you sign up, use promo code HOOPBALL so they know who sent you. Over at Manscaped, meanwhile, they're back and they're rolling with us again. And you're grooming and you're trimming and you're having a good old time. Sleek. You're sleek like a dolphin. Use promo code HOOPBALL20 to get 20% off and free shipping on whatever you get at manscaped.com, sideburn trimmers, ear and nose hair trimmers, actual straight razors uh, with with blades. Yes, I know, for real. Uh, they have replacement blades for both the actual uh, straight razor and replacement blades for their, for their trimmers. They've got boxers, they've got shirts, they've got powders, they've got lotions, they've got moisturizers, they've got shaving creams, whatever you want to get over there. Use promo code HOOPBALL20 to get 20% off and free shipping. That's how they know where you got it, and that's how you get a damn fine deal. I got asked, and I, it's my own fault, because I put out a, a question on Twitter that just said, hey, you guys pick. Who do you want me to talk about on Twitter today? And a lot of different things came in. But I would, I think the most, and this is tough because there were, to say that it was like the most requested this is very much like a uh, majority kind of thing that was happening. So it's not like one got a whole bunch and uh, every other question didn't really. Um, it was more like a name that I saw flash by a bunch of times that I thought I could bring to the podcast to give you guys a little bit of a taste of what I'm going to try to do with these players on Twitter going forward is uh, DeAndre Hunter oddly enough. And I you know, we haven't talked much about him on the podcast at this point. And the reason is that I'm just not that excited about it. We got some other names that popped up a few times. Um Bradley Beal came up a couple of times oddly enough, which I, I thought was relatively surprising, but you know, with Beal I think I can make it pretty quick. Don't mess with it much. Like don't mess with your rankings much, I mean. He just got over COVID 3 months ago, I think. So while, you know, we want everybody to be vaccinated and that makes our lives easier from a fantasy draft standpoint, he's going to be subject to to stricter protocols. There might be, you know, he might get quarantined for five or six days at some point in there. Um, But from a, do we think he's actually going to catch it standpoint? I, I don't think that he's really any more likely than anyone else in the NBA to get to catch it. Maybe I would argue less likely because we're seeing that you know, vaccinations, their efficacy against symptomatic illness, meaning actually catching it in some, even a mild version like a cold, 
it does wane over time. So, you know, if there's an NBA player who got vaccinated in like February, by February of this coming year, they might be more likely to get it than Beal. So don't worry about it from that standpoint. I'm not here to argue vaccine efficacy. Uh, Obviously, it's better to have protection in every respect. I'm just saying that we also don't want to ignore the fact that Beal does have some measure of protection himself. So don't move him too far down the board. They said, Dan, your immunology degree wouldn't come in handy in sports, and yet here we are. Don't move him too far down the board. Protocol could be an issue where other guys, if they're exposed to someone with COVID in their inner circle, they probably can just keep playing until they test positive. Beal would have to quarantine. That's two to three missed ball games. That could happen a couple of times, but it also might not. He's going to have to stay in hotels on the road, so he may be less exposed to stuff. He might end up being somehow a safer play. I don't think that's true. Odds are it probably tips the other direction, but it's not, it's not a situation. I'm here to talk a little bit about DeAndre Hunter today. And a lot of guys got asked about. So don't worry if you ask about someone else on Twitter. I'll try to get to many of those on social media. And it's again, that's why I want you guys to follow me at Dan Bespris, because I can't do all of this on a podcast. And I can sort of intermittently throughout a day throw stuff onto social media. The reason I haven't talked that much about DeAndre Hunter is frankly that I don't believe that what he did was repeatable. He finished last year at number 97 on a per-game basis, but was much better than that pre-injury. He tried to come back a couple of times, uh, and because he only played 23 games on the year, four or five games at a, a severe minutes limit dramatically changed his averages for the entire season. You can, It would be much more wise of all of us, much more prudent, to look at DeAndre Hunter from the start of last season through his injury, which was like the first month and a half or so of the year. So December 22nd last year started and just put like mid-February because he was gone by then and he wasn't back. Over that stretch of time, Hunter was much closer to a top 50 type of guy. In fact, he was number 49. So very close to a top 50 kind of guy. On averages of 17 points, five and a half rebounds, two assists, 1.73s, a steal, half a block, 51% from the field, and 88% at the free throw line. I'm not here to tell you that it can't be done again. It could. It might happen again. What I'm here to do is to advise on things that are more or less likely to happen than any other thing. So in this particular instance, do we think DeAndre Hunter is is more likely to do the same thing again or less likely? We could look at his rookie season and see that he shot 41% from the field and 35.5% from downtown, and then we could look at this last season and say, dude is 48.5% from the field and only 32.5% from downtown. His rookie year, he shot 76% at the free throw line. This last season, he shot 86% at the free throw line. The things that stayed relatively consistent year over year, steal rate, about 0.8 in starters minutes, block rate, somewhere in the 0.4.5 range in starters minutes, rebounds, about 4.5 to 5 in starters minutes, assists, a little under 2 in starters minutes. So those, I think we can pretty much plant our flag in. Just mark them down. Put it in pen. 
The thing we really don't know is can his two-point shooting percent hold up and can his free throw percent hold up? Because unfortunately, when you peel back the layer of him having an extraordinary jump season over season, a lot of it looked a little bit more like a mirage. Not to say that guys don't get better between their rookie and sophomore seasons. They very often do. But to jump almost 8% from the field and 10% at the free throw line on almost the exact same volume is unexpected On a for a player who fantasy-wise doesn't actually have a good deal of upside in the non-scoring-related categories. Under five rebounds for a wing is kind of meh. Not bad, but certainly not good. Probably a little better than mediocre. Under two assists for a you know a wing playing starters minutes is not very good. Under a steal for a wing playing starters minutes is not very good. Half a block is probably about average for you know a, a small forward or someone who plays where he plays on the floor, sometimes even power forward. Mostly John Collins there, but a minute or two in the in the book. So the the other stuff, turnovers are low, so I guess that's a good thing for nine cap, but the rebounds, the assists, the steals, the blocks, that's not going to float his value. He's not the kind of guy where if the scoring stuff didn't stick, that everything else will stay, will hold. And remember, he shot 51% before his injury. So he was really storming the barn at that point. He was coming in full force, 88% at the free throw line on four attempts per game over that stretch. I don't know what which DeAndre Hunter we get this year. Uh, you know, Presumably not the one who's badly injured. But we do know that we're getting a DeAndre Hunter who doesn't get defensive stats and doesn't rebound and doesn't assist very much on a team that has Trey Young to do the distribution and Clint Capella and John Collins to do the rebounding slash interior stuff. So what the hell is his job besides he better be a really efficient scorer? And when you, again, adjusted for... Like, even if you took his early season numbers and you just... You only adjusted the percentages down. Because, again, if you look at then how he did from his injury to the end of the year uh i don't i don't even think he was on the leaderboard yeah he was like outside the top 175 200 at that point so even if you just took his early season numbers and adjusted the percentages down to like even what he did over the entire season you're talking about a guy who kind of barely hangs on inside the top 100, and I don't think has much in the way of upside. His upside, we saw. We saw it because his percentages were so freaking good for the first month and a half, but we we never really got data on whether they were sustainably good. I believe they were not. I believe DeAndre Hunter is a low upside probably going to hover in that 90 range if things like really they kind of still need to break his way because that team has a crap ton of options when they're healthy cam reddish he'll be playing this year bogdan bogdanovich will be playing this year those guys weren't really a factor early on last season 
I believe Danilo Gallinari was out to start the year also. And he was just coming back when Hunter went down. There's just too much competition. So I don't see his shot attempts going up from 11. Might even see them come down by like half a field goal attempt per game. So where is the upside? Which is my argument for, okay, if you're in a head-to-head league and you need points on what I would assume are like reasonable percentages, fine, take him near 100. That's fine. He'll probably just plod along all year. We have every reason to believe that he'll be healthy this season. I don't, you know, we don't really have data otherwise. He hasn't been in the league long enough to say that there's some lingering problem here. But if you're like me and around pick 100, you're chasing someone who can actually be a real difference maker for your team. Whether it's someone who plays like Hunter, but has a better track record of health, or someone who has an equally spotty health track record, even in a, a one or two seasons, but has this opportunity in front of them that Hunter simply doesn't have. Those are the directions I'd rather go at this point. He just doesn't interest me because not only is he not super healthy in his first two years in the NBA, he only missed nine games uh, his first season, so not, like not a big deal, but then only played 28, that's including the playoffs, 23 out of 72 in the regular season this last year. And again, you know, he might play 82 at games this year, but it's not like there's a track record there. I'd rather go for either other type. Give me a guy with a track record of health or give me a guy who has some sort of big-time upside. And it's just not really there with Hunter. Which sucks uh, for me to have to do a show like this um, because I'd rather just say nice things about everybody. But from a fantasy standpoint, I'm, I'm not seeing the appeal. Frankly, when he came back and he played starters minutes in the playoffs for Atlanta this year. And, you know, again, admittedly, like, he was still dinged up at that point. He averaged 11-4, and four, didn't get any steals, small sample size, shot 75% at the free throw line. So I don't even know that the free throw thing is something we can believe was real. Anybody can get hot for a month and a half. It's not that crazy. Guys get hot for a month and a half, then they go real cold. I don't think we truly know what DeAndre Hunter is, but I bet he's closer to 47% than 51 this year. I bet his free throws are closer to 80 than they are to 87. Without any other adjustments to his numbers, even while he was getting a lot of attempts in the first half of the year, if you just remove the positive impact of his percentages over that run, then he's like outside the top 80. Where's the fun there? Take him at 100 for a guy who's going to be like 95? I don't know, man. So not a big DeAndre Hunter guy, and uh, that's one of the names that I got asked about today, and certainly it's easier to do that kind of breakdown on a podcast than on Twitter, because on Twitter you got to be a bit more brief, but that's the type of stuff we're going to try to do on social media here as we roll towards everybody's drafts. I know they're all coming up in the not-too-distant future. Folks, again, please do follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. One more big old thank you to our buddy Josh Lloyd for popping on the show. I'll actually be on his show here in the next few minutes, so uh, perhaps you guys can catch us there. We're doing questions on a YouTube live stream. He is at RedRock underscore B-Ball on Twitter. I am at Dan Bespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Go get yourself a Brewski 150 over at hoop-ball.com and hit me up if you want to join the ranks here at HoopBall. Be one of our writers, our contributors, our podcasters, you name it. We're looking for you. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. Back tomorrow, we're going to do a redux on Thursday, a redux of Yahoo's top 25 pre-rank 
And then I'd like to get in some ESPN stuff here before the week is done as well. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.